August 25th. It's about 10 a.m. and I'm in Springfield, Illinois at the Illinois Department of Agriculture, more specifically, the Division of Cannabis Regulation. You can watch the video version of this podcast and check out any links that we referenced during this show by clicking the link that is included in the description for this specific episode of the Chillinoy Podcast. You can subscribe to our blog to receive notifications anytime that we release a new episode by going to chillinoy.net slash blog. And you can support us by making a contribution of your choice at chillinoy.net slash support. Please rate the Chillinoy podcast positively on whichever platform that you're listening from. Let's talk about how we got here. On January 1st, 2020, it effectively became legal for residents and non-residents to purchase and possess limited quantities of cannabis within the state of Illinois. In case you didn't know, this was the result of a piece of legislation that had recently passed. That piece of legislation was known as the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act of 2019. For the rest of the conversation, we'll refer to that as the CRTA. Prior to the passage of the CRTA, the Department of Agriculture had a Bureau of Medicinal Plants that has since been reorganized to the Division of Cannabis Regulation. My next guest, David Lakeman, is the Cannabis Division Manager at the Illinois Department of Agriculture. Dave, welcome to the Chillinois Podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm happy yeah. to be here. It's cool to be in the flesh. Um, you're a really exciting uh, guest, and I have a lot of things to discuss with you. But before we do that, many people know you as the Cannabis Division Manager. But of course, you're a person, David Lakeman. I'm looking around your office. You've obviously got a family. You've got friends. You're more than just the Cannabis Division Manager. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, again, I appreciate you uh, you, you coming out here. It's uh, exciting to be on, an avid listener. So uh, it's exciting to be part of the podcast. Um, So I'm an Illinois native. Uh, I grew up down uh, between Sparta and Belleville uh, and came up to Springfield in 2013 um, to work for the Quinn administration. uh, And that's where I met my, my now wife, Amy. Uh, we actually met uh, at the Barbecue and Blues Festival downtown Springfield, which is next weekend. So yeah. looking forward to, to going back and kind of bringing it back to the roots there. Um, prior to coming back uh, in 2020, we had spent the previous five years in Boston uh, for my wife to pursue her Ph.D. in, in, um, in political science at Harvard. Um, you know, she's much smarter than me, and, and yet she still married me, so nobody's <laughs> perfect, I guess. Um, but we're we're blessed to have a really great family. I've got a three year old daughter named Elizabeth and a, and a eight month yeah eight month old son named Peter. So um, they keep us hopping. Um, but we're really thankful to have them. They're sweet kids. So yeah. we're yeah. excited to be back home. Hell yeah! And so, like you mentioned, uh, you had that history in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I think I wrote I wrote down that you were the first senior staff hired at the Independent Cannabis Control Commission in Massachusetts. One of them. Yeah, one it was of one of the the first. I was I think the the seventh person to start at the commission. Yeah. And I think it's notable to mention, this might sound familiar to people, that Massachusetts was one of the, one of the first states to legalize cannabis in a way that included a social equity component. Yes. So, in fact, the first. Yeah. The okay. first equity program. Nice. Yep, which nice. we're very proud of. Yeah. So uh, I, the reason I say that sounds familiar is because, of course, Illinois has done, done a similar thing. So, yes. Um, so um, now we know who Dave is and, uh, you know, that he's got a family and he's a real person. Um, tell us about uh, your job. Sure. Uh, it is one of the coolest and, and hardest jobs I've ever, I've ever had, right? Yeah. Um, we are building something entirely new. Uh, to your point, uh, when I started, that was effectively the transition between the Bureau of Medicinal Plants, which solely regulated the medical program, to the Division of Cannabis Regulation, which 
regulates the entire thing, adult use, medical, and hemp, um, through the Compassionate Use Act, the, Medi- um, the CRTA, and the Industrial Hemp Act. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a pretty hefty, um, it's a pretty hefty lift. Uh, we, are, we, we, we are growing. Uh, you know, we're, we started, when I started, there were a few inspectors and, and three office staff, and we've grown about four times that since, and we're, we've got a lot more growing to do. Um, you know, as we learn what needs there are, you know, we, we do our best to address them. Can this be, can this fit into, um, a position that exists or, or do we need to, to change that? Um, we're getting ready, hopefully, to uh, post our next round of inspector positions, which I'm extremely excited about. Um, the reason this is relevant is that up to this point, uh, and this is going to be really in the weed stuff, so I apologize for that, um, but the actual job title has been plant and pesticide specialist, um, an existing ag title. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last two years, we've been working with the Civil Service Commission, and we have finally created a new position. It's called, there, it's two-tiered system, so there'll be cannabis trainees and cannabis regulators, um, and we're developing basically an, an onboarding system. They'll go through the trainee program, and if in a in essence, graduate into being a, a cannabis regulator. Cool. Um, and that will be one of the first cannabis-specific titles created by the state. Um, you know, and it, that's just a good example of some of the nitty-gritty that goes in, I think, behind the scenes that people don't realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something we've, we've talked about before is that it's not just, um, you know, these positions and things like that, but, you know, often for questions we get, and I think a lot of people don't believe this, uh, a question we get will be the first time we've ever had that question. Yeah. Um, and we have to develop an entirely new policy, sometimes a form that is consistent across the industry because of that one question we got because nobody thought of it before. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true on the policy front and then also, of course, on the scientific front. And I, I suspect we'll talk more about that later. But, you know, this, the state of the science, the chemistry of this of this industry is changing so quickly. Yeah. Uh, we, we have to stay ahead of it. Yeah. Um, and so the speed of science does not move at the speed of policy. <laughs> it does not. It does not. And I, I think that... Um, I do think Illinois, the CRTA, and I think the Illinois legislature was incredibly forward-looking in how they crafted that. Um, But again, I mean, no matter how quickly, no matter how efficiently government is operating, it is difficult to keep pace with um, how quickly the the state of science changes. Yeah. Well, to uh, try to put what you uh, are saying into words, and these aren't my words, these are uh, from a person we know, Shaleen Title, mm-hmm. lawmakers, and I'll insert regulators, sure. are effectively starting from scratch, legalizing a multi-billion dollar industry almost overnight around a plant that has been illegal for generations. Yes. Decisions made today will have lasting impacts on the future of the market, determining whether, you know, uh, what the cannabis market looks like. Yes. Um, and so... Um, I think that's what you're bringing up. And I do think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, sometimes people are like, what the hell's going on? And it's like, uh, you know, what I've liked about cannabis is that or what I think is a blessing about cannabis mm-hmm. is that it has caused people to engage in government. Yes. I mean, ha- ha- it's actually, in my opinion, a good thing. I know that sometimes people can be a little angry, too passionate, but the fact that this is something that has finally caused somebody like, mm-hmm. hey, I need to speak to my legislator or, hey, I need to pay attention mm-hmm. as opposed to just the backseat. Like that's that's what I love about cannabis. But what people are figuring out is that that policy moves slow, you know, and that can be frustrating. Yes. But but it is that's kind of it is what it is, you know. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that at the top of this interview um, because, you know, this is something that almost did have happen overnight. It happened 
actually, I think our state was one of the quickest turnarounds with regard to, yes. we're pretty unique in passing it via the legislative process as quickly as we did. Illinois was the first. Yeah, there you go. Illinois so, was the 11th state to legalize, but only the first to do so via the actual legislative process. Every and, other state had been a ballot question or voter initiative. Mm-hmm. And here we just say policy moves slow. That was one instance where policy moved uh, relatively quickly. It was still it half a year, you know, yes. but pretty quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. stores opened up at the end of the year, which is yes. an incredible feat. So, And just for context, you know, and again, I, I'm very proud of the work we did in Massachusetts. And Massachusetts was very far ahead. I mean, at the time, we really only had Colorado as a model. Um, but the, the legalization question passed in 2016. Um, the legislature... Basically, the first thing they did that December after that November was to put a delay on implementation except for the deadline in which you could possess, which still started the first of that year. Um, But they worked on it through, I think, August of 2017. You know, most of the the commissioners were appointed through the very end of 2017. They started bringing on staff in early 2018. That's when I started um, working on rules through that period. I think they were finished also in March of 2018. And then the first... Stores went opened in November of 2018. You know, mm-hmm. so that's 2016 to 2018. I mean, that's now again was it, it was starting from you know a little bit further back. There was there are fewer models. Um, nevertheless, the, those timelines are tight. Yeah. Um, and it is, I think, from an external perspective, and I think had I not worked in government, I would probably be more frustrated too. It feels like that that's a really long time. Mm-hmm. But you consider, you know, it's not just that we you have to hire folks, you have to do policy, you have to, you also then have to flesh out what that means in a practical way. You know, sure, this is what the rule says, but what does it mean when, when that's applied by an inspector out in the field, right? And you've got to build the entire background to that. Um, Again, there there was some criticism, you know, I think a lot of folks wanted it to start earlier. Um, You know, one of the other things we had to look at was, um, was California. They legalized at the same time uh, and they started on the 1st of January, right after the ballot question. Um, and I know from your other interviews, you've, you've talked to your listeners about this like, seed to sale tracking. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't want to re, you know, go over that again. Uh, but basically, it's a system that allows regulators to track a plant you know, self-explanatorily yeah. from seed to sale. Um, theirs wasn't ready, and they were tracking um, they were tracking purchases by hand, right? In a state as huge as California, with a market as as, as massive as theirs, um, basically it was handwritten paper. So there were things we wanted to get right. Uh, and I think that you know, our executive director, Sean Collins, I think he did a great job and he made the right call and saying, we're going to get the back end built out first the right way. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, that's what's going to, as you said, impact the next 10 years if yeah. we don't do it right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a little longer than we wanted, but the back end was set. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're, we're trying to do the same here. Yeah. And again, it, it some, does it take longer than I wish it did? Absolutely. Do I wish we could be a little bit faster with certain things? Absolutely. Um, but are we also working often 12-hour days to try to make sure it's getting done the right way and, and getting done as quickly as we possibly can? Also, yes. Yeah. I mean, as the the cannabis division manager, I'm sure when you hear people say, I wish all these things were happening quicker, I'm sure you're like, I'm, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> the very first one wishing certain things would move faster is, yeah. is, is always I mean, me. It's, yeah, it's your, your department. So speaking of your department, like I'm just curious, I want to get to uh, some of the changes you've been able to make. Like sure. I'm, uh, from what I understand, you've changed the badging process yes. so that it's easier and companies are pretty happy with that. That's something that, I, that I've complained about on the show in the past. So to sure. hear that that's got gotten better is good. We'll get to some of those improvements, but I'm just curious, like 
what your day-to-day even looks like? Like, do you, are, do you go to cannabis cultivation centers ever? Do you mm-hmm. like have regular calls with licensees? Like what is the day-to-day in a cannabis division manager's life? <laughs> you know, I really look forward to the answer, the day when I can give you a, a, an answer to that, right? Cause like you don't know what, when right. you're coming in, you don't know what your day is going to look like. Yes. Um, you know, you know what you come in planning for. Sure. Um, but the answer to all of your questions is basically yes. You know, I do go out. Um, our senior staff does go out. We, you need to be out there to see what's going on. Yeah. Um, but we also go out to visit our hemp, hemp growers, mm-hmm. um, which again, often not in, um, it's often a, a drive to get out there. Yeah. Um, I'm sure at some point you can show a picture, but we've got, uh, the maps along the wall there of all our hemp growers. I mean, they really are all across the state. Yeah. I didn't realize that's what um, that was. I'll get footage and display. Sure. Yeah. We're talking now, um, so. but there, there are there, it's, it's a very, it's a growing industry. Um, same with the cannabis licensees. Um, so yeah, you know, any, any given day, a good chunk of that is spent so is talking it, to licensees. Yeah. Split um, between hemp and cannabis. Yep. Um, and you know, regulatory issues, um, than the, the much more boring things like working on each year's budget, working on IT needs, um, making sure the vehicle fleet is prepped. Um, you know, it's a number of things like that. You know, we're, we're looking at um, making sure that we're complying with, with Illinois state laws, you know, trying to fulfill the mission of the administration in terms of cutting um, emissions by looking at you know, replacing our, inspect, our inspections vehicle fleet with, with electric vehicles, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, each of these things is, is a challenge, um, but it also makes each day interesting. Um, so it's, it is a, it is a neat job, you know, personnel hiring. Uh, and that, that's another good point. I'm, I don't want to keep sort of belaboring this, but you know, for every single job that we've created here, every single position we make and, and right sizing is a big goal of mine, right? I don't want an excessive bureaucracy. Yeah. I want it to be a lean, mean regulating machine, right? Um, I want us to be doing what we can within our means, um, and I don't want it to be bureaucratized. I want us to be smooth and efficient because mm-hmm. that's what that's what this new industry needs. Um, but on the other hand, you do need trained people to do some of these things. Yep. For every single one of those positions, they've never existed before. Right. So every single one of them has to be created. The job posting has to be designed. The, in, the interview questions have to be written. Um, each part of that is a pretty lengthy process. Yeah. Um, and we have to make sure we get it right because, as you said, you know, the first person to hold all of these jobs is going to define it for every successive person. And, of course, it'll change, it'll evolve, it'll grow. Um, but it will, the essence of it, the foundation of it are going to be what we do first. Yep. Uh, and I, I feel that responsibility pretty cleanly. Yep. You want to get it right. But is, that takes a lot of time. Is it a lot of pressure? Yeah. It's... Um, It is an important part of this job. The people that we're working for, the, you know, the licensees, the people of Illinois, the patients, you know, in, in some cases it can be literally life or death for them. You know, are we, are we regulating this right so that if some, nothing gets through and we don't have an, you know, an adverse health impact on a patient who can't, whose body can't take it? Um, you know, are, we, are we trying to make sure that we, we catch any of these newly evolving issues as they develop? Um, it's hard. And with the people, all the new licensees, you know, this newest round of craft growers, hundred percent equity. Right. And I'm really proud of that. Mm -hmm. Social equity is the core of, of what I do. It, it informs every decision I make. And you know, that, that commitment is, is true of me. It's true of the director. It's true of the governor. Um, and the entire administration is geared toward getting that right. Um, 
But these are people that have had a lot of challenges. Yeah. And we want a responsive regulatory agency that can handle their questions and make sure that we provide the tools that we as regulators should and can provide and do it in the right way because they've been waiting and, and they're trying to get up and running. And there are a host of challenges, 280E, you know, the federal landscape, banking, less than we worried it would be, right? Yeah. Especially when we were setting up Massachusetts. And again, I think Shalene actually talked about this very recently. Yes. But still a concern. Yep. Um, especially for, for the, the newer folks. For, and for smaller folks. Yes. Yep. Um, less of a worry for big people. Right. Um, but still a concern across the industry. Definitely. Making sure that, as you said, the, the agent badging process is smooth and, and easily doable and understandable. Um, each of these things, I mean, that's what informs my work. That's what informs my staff's work is every day coming in and saying, how can we make this better? How can we, how can we refine this process, make it easier to understand, easier to use? Um, just something that, as you said, the, the average person can connect with. Yeah. Um, I think about that a lot. Um, I've, I've seen across, I mean, not just in cannabis, laws in general become opaque. They become hard for someone who's tuning in for the first time to understand. And I want anybody who's coming into their engagement process with the government for the first time to be able to know what we're dealing with. Yeah. And I'm not trying to sort of pat ourselves on the back, but one thing I, I am extremely proud of is the fact that we hear even from advocates that normally, you know, rightly take us to task on certain things. One of the things I have heard is, you know, your forms, your process, that's actually approachable. You don't have to be a lawyer to deal with it. Yeah. And, and that's the perspective I try to have on all of the things we do is that the new folks coming into this industry are not lawyers. Mm -hmm. They're not experienced venture capitalists. They, in many cases, people I talk to have never even run a business before, and that is a hard process. So how do we make a process that's workable for someone coming at it from that point of view, from that perspective? Yeah. And I think we've done okay. Yeah. And, you know, we continue to get input from, from licensees, from applicants, and we're constantly changing things to make them easier. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the agent card system and yeah. I don't want to keep talking. I know. No, we, no, we go, go ahead and actually go sure. through. Cause I know that the, Here's the thing. People complain a lot, but there is progress being made. And so I, this is the point of sitting down with you. And first of all, you said that ad, some advocates mm -hmm. that might push back on you sometimes, they say that they're happy about the forms. Yep. I'm an advocate that, as you know, I can be candid about things. I'm happy that oh, yes. we're sitting down today. Yes. So thank you. But I, in the spirit of you know fostering a great relationship, I want to give you the opportunity right now as somebody who complains all the time about things to talk about yeah. some of the things you have improved. Do you have done things and not a lot of people know about it. So, yeah. and again, the, the agent badging process is one yep. of them that we are, we, yep. we digitize that process. You know, we're saving the state a lot of money every, every week by not printing out and sending these cards, but that's not the primary goal here, right? The primary goal is that we've made it much easier for applicants, for businesses, to get those applications in, um, get them reviewed and turned around very quickly. We've cut down the turnaround time about 75% since we instituted our new system. Um, we've made it accessible for um, applicants on their, you know, to be able to pull it up, on, or not applicants, licensees to have it on their phones. Um, again, moving toward a regulatory process for the 21st century. Yeah. Um, and again, we've, we've heard a lot of great feedback on that. Hey, this is just much easier. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of those small things, but you know, for that process is there's a process laid out in statute for it. Yeah. Um, and the, the form was two pages long and we were noticing that we were getting a ton of rejections, um, which is not to say they were denied. I want to make that clear. We have 
since I have been here, we have not denied an agent badge application. Um, there may have been one, um, but rejected, meaning that there wasn't something was done incorrectly. Wasn't yeah. Yes. Um, and so our staff looked at it and we realized that a big part of the reason is because the second page wasn't getting done. People, you know, rightfully, they'd yeah. say, okay, here's what I need, fill it out, send it back in. But they're missing the second page. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time and we, we, we reworked it to be only one page. And again, that, that rejection rate dropped into the single digits, which is much more in line with what we want. And that's yeah. more, you didn't fill something out correctly. We and we send it back and it gets fixed usually pretty quickly, but it, it just took one more thing out of the mix to say, you know, one more difficult thing out because people don't understand, well, why, I filled it all out. Well, the yeah. second page you didn't. Yeah. You and know, I'm, not, so. I'm not trying to pat your back, but you said it's a small thing. I think yeah. for some people that's a big thing. I know yes. many people that were waiting on their yes. badge to be approved. So some people that I know industry people listen right now, they might not know that the process was as quick as it was because you improved it, right. like hypothetically speaking, you know right. what I'm saying? So that might be a big thing to people. Again, not trying to pat your back, but trying no. to give credit where credit is due. It's those little things, you know, yeah. and that's what I found is that, you know, the exciting things are the big policy, right? Or, or a license rollout, but so much of being a regulator is in, in the very small details. Mm -hmm. How can you make, cause you tweak these processes and it, it really does make a big difference. Um, and I always try to think about it from the perspective of someone going through it for the first time. Yeah. Um, and it, you, you, when you think about it that way, I think as a regulator, it's easy to get caught back up and almost, you know, pride of authorship, right? Well, we did this and it's the right thing, but you got to always go back to the people who it's supposed to serve. And if you go through it with that, with that perspective, that set of eyes and you think, well, this is actually a pain. Mm -hmm. well, let's fix it. Yeah. You know, and as, as we're growing, I want us to be nimble. I want us to be quick and just focused on, on things like that, not get so ossified or set in our ways that we don't adjust issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, are there, are there, uh, other things that, that are worth mentioning that, that, that are within your purview that you've been able to change that you'd like to take a moment to speak about in the spirit of, you know, this type of stuff doesn't get, this isn't the mm -hmm. stuff that gets the media attention. The stuff that gets the media attention are people screaming, right? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, and we get, there's a number of things, right? We've, we've built out staffs to, to more adequately be able to address constituent questions. Um, we have started adding as, as folks, as new licensees get close to operational or close to what uh, the pre-construction approval, um, which we may talk about later. So that's the process by which one of these new licenses, they have checked all the boxes, they've gone to ISP, um, Illinois State Police, uh, they've gotten their security plans reviewed, they've worked with us on the design and build out. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting to the point where, okay, we're ready to build. You know, and so my whole senior staff and I, I mean, we will sit down with them. Uh, we've been doing these on Fridays, you know, but we'll talk for one, two, three hours with these new licensees and anybody they want to bring their, their architect, their building consultants, all this. And we walk through any questions they have and they are as varied as the people that are asking them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we get questions about HVAC, about blueprints, about all the kinds of stuff that you never think you're going to deal with, right. As, sure. a, as a regulator. And we walk through them, um, you know, going from 21 to uh, 362 uh, licensees virtually, as you said, overnight, uh, both last year and then this year was a challenge. And I, we're working to scale up our ability to meet the needs of all those new licensees. But we are still doing our best to take that time with, with everybody and say, what are your questions? What do you need help with? Mm -hmm. um, we also started, um, as we get, you know, our, our team tracks the inquiries we get. And so we've also started putting together what we call informational bulletins. So if we notice there's a question we're getting a whole bunch, 
we put together an informational bulletin um, that just says, this is an issue, basically. Here's what the statute says, here's what the reg says, sort of here's the practical application. Um, and we send those out to every email, mm -hmm. every licensee email that we've got. Um, we're in the process of, of redesigning our website, which I think is going to make for a much better user experience. Nice. Um, you know, and those are all going to be on there so that any licensee will be able to just go on and say, you know, I'm running into this issue. Let me see if there's been an informational bulletin on that. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's going to be dozens of them. Um, another great one uh, that I'm also very proud of. We got our, we got the CRTA, the Compassionate Use Act, the Industrial Hemp Act, and the, the associated rules translated into Spanish. Nice. And nice. those are on our website as well. We want to make this industry accessible to everybody in our state. <laughs> yeah. And, and that starts with, let's make it accessible for folks whose first language is in, is in English. Right. And we've done that. We're working on making sure that all of our forms, and again, this is a slog, right? It's not a, no, no, no part of it's easy. Sure. Um, but we're working through making sure that everything we do is, we have that resource available. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I have to say the, the department of ag is also doing this. Like we've, I think the pesticide examiner or the pesticide applicator test is now available in Spanish, other things like that. So it's not just us at the department of ag, but it is something that we take really Good. seriously and that matters a lot to us. Yeah. Um, again, just little things each day that try to, to try to make it more accessible to people trying to enter into this industry. Mm -hmm. If we want to make it an equitable and inclusive industry, that's part of what the work is. Yeah. Um, I'm, just, I'm honestly just curious. I wrote this down. I didn't want to, uh, take us off the beat path. Do you have sure. other things you wanted to mention? I had a question about one of the ones. Please, you mentioned. Let's, let's talk about, um, badging. I know that it works per location. Mm -hmm. Um, is there, is it possible or does the law limit it? Is it possible that it could just be like a hair license? Like if you get a license to cut hair, mm -hmm. You can, you can cut hair at your house. Mm -hmm. You can cut hair at, uh, the super cuts. Like if you get hired there, sure. you can cut hair wherever, you know, mm -hmm. um, but with cannabis, like you're kind of locked into that location. And then if they want to switch locations, mm -hmm. am I correct to understand they have to submit a new badging process to yep. you? Is it possible that it could be like how the medical cards are now where it's just like, you see my card, I can go into any dispensary and, and work as long as I'm actually hired. Sure. I mean, many things are possible through the law right now with the statute being what it is. That's the process. Okay. Um, it's outlined that it has to be per locate, like, right. uh, agent card per mm -hmm. location. But again, that's why we made the process as simple and smooth as we have, because we want it to be easy. If yeah. you need to switch or if you have an agent card at a cultivation center and at a dispensary, mm -hmm. let's make that easy. So at least if this requirement is going to be in place, it's, it's not a, it's not a huge hassle. It's not a bunch of hoops to jump through for you. Sure. So, um, you mentioned you're building out your staff. Um, is it like a thousand people, 500 people? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. As much as some days I wish. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're working up hopefully to have around 70 by the end okay. of the year. Uh, but that includes the field staff, sure. um, the, the inspectors going out, which of course we want to make sure that we have adequate coverage for the grow for all of our licensees. Um, and make sure that they have the support they need because the inspector is their first line of contact. So, yeah. you know, if the facilities have questions, typically that starts with their, their local inspector. Sure. Um, and then it works its way up. Um, and then just adding, you know, within the staff, just some of the support team, um, the licensing team, adding folks who can uh, assist with folks who have agent bad, agent bad questions or change of location questions, things like that. Um, <clears throat> building out a team that can support them um, and sort of the frontline folks who are 
mm-hmm. you know, in constant contact with licensees, with agents, with, with all of those folks. Yeah. Um, we just hired our hemp program manager, which I'm very excited about. Um, you know, so someone who's going to be able to really take ownership of that program and, and push it forward, cool. um, in a way that's been hard to do, uh, while we're trying to do everything else. Yeah. Um, you know, so things like that. And I, one thing I, again, to your point, I think it's easy to free. I mean, we're not a huge bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, right now there are two bureau chiefs, which most of our licensees will be familiar with and myself and, we do most of this work ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we work with our frontline teams, but when it comes to the policies, when it comes to these meetings I was telling you about, it's all us. Yeah. Um, you know, we all talk, um, but it is, it is a very small tight knit team and we're all working through these things together. And I think, mm-hmm. and you've mentioned this before, I think it's easy to see any bureaucratic entity right now sort of this vast faceless machine, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not. That's how I tried to open the show, man. Right. I know. I yeah, know. Yeah, and yeah. and but, I appreciate that. And that's yeah. what I'm saying is, is it's not, we're, we're just a couple, you know, we're a small team. We're growing, we're doing our best, but we are, we are just people. We're people. Um, and we're, we're really working hard. And all of the team here takes our mission so seriously. And we care so deeply about our licensees, about frankly, you know, the consumers of Illinois, making sure that they stay safe, the patients of Illinois, um, you know, some of our team have family who are patients, mm-hmm. right? And so this, this mission is critical and right up front every single day because it's not some, again, to flip that script, right? It's not some faceless person out there that we're thinking about. It is our families yeah. that are using these things for their health. And, yeah. and it, it is first and foremost in our heads to keep them safe. Um, so we work hard at that. For, um, for licensees, and I don't know if there's like a lot of them out there, mm-hmm. but I'm just thinking about the person that was like, what, there's, there's a meeting I could join regularly. Mm-hmm. Would they just email the divi- the cannabis yep. division to try to get added to those Friday meetings or whenever? Usually it's when you get close, right? So you're, Oh, when you're like actually ready to yeah, go. You're, you're getting close to, because before that point you won't, and this not to be condescending at all, but you, you don't know what questions you need to ask yet. Well, I mean, yeah. And yeah. we want to make sure that that's targeted and efficient with, with our time and with their time. Yeah, you don't want to just talk about hypotheticals. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and because it doesn't help anybody. Sure. Um, you know, we want to have those, those things in front of us so we can say, yeah, you're talking about X. Have you thought about Y? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, you know, as, as people get close, we, we do try to reach out and say, Hey, let's, let's have a conversation. Uh, let's, let's walk through some issues you might be having. Yeah. Uh, but again, I mean, we work so frequently with, with all of our licensees at, at every stage of the process. I can't tell you how many emails all of us get, you know, we try to answer them as quickly as possible to say, yeah, this should be fine. Or, you know, that's not really consistent with the rule. Consider an alternative approach, yeah. all kinds of things like that. Or again, we get those questions and say, wow, sounds like we need to put out an informational bulletin about this because it's a, it's a broader question that folks have. Mm-hmm. Now, I won't get into this philosophically, but I, I want to preface this by saying that I hate what I'm about to say. And it's because of my <laughs> talk with uh, like researchers. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you about your work in hemp, but I hate separating that from cannabis because yeah. as I've talked to scientists and everything else, and as you know very mm-hmm. well, cannabis is hemp. But legally, we've got two different terms. Right. So let's talk about hemp. Be very um, happy to. Yeah, uh, as you can see, I'd be very happy to talk about. Yeah, how. yeah, check it out, folks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's hugely important, um, and I, you'll have to forgive me. I, I really get off on a soapbox about this or a hempcrete box, uh, as as you we were talking about. Never seen this in person. So it takes someone hand of a little rough. It takes thirty days to cure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but wow. it's it's a really great building material. So this was made right here on the state fairgrounds. The Illinois Hemp Association was great. They were out here. 
Um, they ran a demonstration. It's really cool. So I Hemp is huge, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think it's got the potential, and I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but I think it's got the potential truly to change the world if we can get that done right. Yeah. Um, the hemp leaf is somewhere around two times as efficient at pulling carbon out of the atmosphere as the most efficient tree in the Amazon. Um, it is a huge carbon sink. And so when we're talking about efforts to combat climate change, when we're talking about, you know, efficient cover crops, things like that, hemp checks every one of those boxes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we're looking at, um, you know, the Po River and the War River and the Rhine being dried up, when we're talking about China having the longest, most intense heat wave in recorded human history, right? These things are important. Um, and again, it's, it's the same as the regulatory front, right? Um, it's like the movie, right? It's a game of inches. Yeah. Every inch we got to keep pushing forward. But beyond that, it's got just limitless industrial uses. And I, I think you got some footage at the beginning. I've got a, a whole neat pile of things yeah. over there that we can use it for. Um, uh, plastic. And um, they, those utensils are made out of hemp. These are made out of hemp. Awesome. Yeah. Um, this is hemp wood, which, I mean, it looks nice. You finish that, it looks like hard. Yeah. You know? And last time we spoke, you said if you had any goal, it would be to protect... Uh, replace all wood with hemp, yes. hemp right? Yep. Well, on paper, so. Yeah. Hemp paper. Nice. Uh, and this, so this table and this rope is actually made from hemp we grew at the department for the state fair last year. Hell yeah. So I, I just think it's pretty cool. So, I mean, this is all hemp from the, from that. Those are hemp stalks from industrial hemp. Okay. Um, Soap, wood, hempcrete as a building material, mm -hmm. um, paper, um, you can go back and look at, especially in Illinois, right, some of the initial newspapers from about 1800 through the 1820s, so just before statehood to just after, um, newspapers were printed on hemp paper. Yeah. And if you look at it, it's still as crisp as it was the day that it was published. But when you look at when we moved over to wood pulp papers, within weeks they start to yellow, um, you know, and they start to decay. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about a year in many cases, I mean, you know what it is. You find a receipt in a drawer and you can barely read it, right? Yeah, um, exactly. You know, we could we could stop so much deforestation if we transitioned from, you know, a wood pulp-based situation to a hemp-based situation. It's also better for the soil. It's rejuvenative toward the soil, right? It yeah. pulls contaminants. It pulls out uh, heavy metals. Mm -hmm. um, and it's good for the soil. It can grow in looser, rockier, more acidic soil. It's easier to do than, you know, tomatoes, corn. Yeah. Um, and there's just limitless uses. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I firmly believe in that, you know, and, and it's not just, this isn't just sort of a new fad thing, right? It's not a, uh, it's not a partisan thing. It's not linked to, to some of the other things that folks maybe don't like about cannabis. Um, for the, the Boston massacre, right? I mean, the, the, the red coast in the, in the seaport district, right? The, the folks that they were confronting were making hemp ropes for ships. This is this material is literally woven through our history. Uh, the USS Constitution, current you know, the oldest floating warship, uh, still in active service for the United States. You know, built and, and commissioned by George Washington as one of the first six frigates of the United States Navy. Um, you know, gained fame during the War of 1812. Her rigging, her masts were all you know all of that were made from hemp. Yeah. The Conestoga wagons going across the, the, the frontier, hemp, um, hugely important as you and I talked about, uh, you know, talked about last time for the war effort in World War II. Um, you can see behind me, I mean, the U.S. Department of Agriculture produced a video, right, for World War II called Hemp for Victory. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, it is hugely important. And I, I want to see that industry succeed here in Illinois. Yeah. You know, we've got several hundred licensed hemp growers, several hundred licensed hemp processors. Um, we want to be there to support them. Yeah. Illinois is uniquely situated. It, it, the, the soil, the topography, the climate are uniquely good for growing hemp. Um, it's why it still grows here to this day naturally from yes. those hemp for victory days. It does. Yeah. Um, you know, the areas up near the Illinois and Missouri rivers, perfect for it. Um, the whole south of 64, honestly, up around, uh, around New Chicago and, and north there along the border. Mm-hmm. These are all areas that are really good for growing hemp. Yeah. Um, we were producing it not just for the country, but for all of the allied nations in World War II. We can do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to do is... is become a better resource for them. Yeah. Look at ways that we can help connect growers with processors who are doing what, what they want. You know, mm-hmm. so if you want to grow it for CBD, let's help you find somebody that's doing that. If you want to grow it for industrial purposes, you know, the rope that was on the desk, right. Or soap or wood or any of those other things that you can make with it. Let's help you find those processors that'll, that'll let you do that. Yeah. Um, it, it is a huge focus. It's a huge goal of mine, of this division of this department's, um, you know, the director talks about this often. I think you just talked about it, um, you know, at the state fair. It's uh, I think that we're going to get to a point where, you know, after corn, soybeans, uh, pumpkins, hemp is one of the most valuable exports of the state of Illinois mm-hmm. by value. Yeah. Um, that we're going to grow it. We're going to export it. We're going to we're going to become an industrial center for it. Those jobs are going to be here. That industry is going to be here. And I want us to be a leader in it. Yeah. I think we're doing we're in the very promising early stages of making that happen. Yeah. My apologies for asking you. I guess I don't have to apologize for asking you an easy question. No. Um, I've, I've just, it, it's really a Googleable question is why I feel silly asking you this question, but here we go. Cause I mean, you're, I'm just curious again, this is Googleable, but how easy is it to get a hemp license? Like I kind of just want to grow hemp in my front yard and not get, have an issue. Cause it looks like, you know, it's got the leave. And right. so if somebody calls, I don't want there to be an issue. Is it pretty easy to get a hemp license? Extremely easy. Okay. We reach out to our, uh, to the hemp email address that's on our website and I can send that to you. We can put it up in the, in the podcast. Sure. Um, it's a very cheap license to get through the department. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we work with you. It, it is, it is an easy license to get and we're always looking for ways to make it easier. Yeah. You know, do we want it to be safe and again, well-regulated as much as corn or soybeans or any other commodity? Yeah. Yes. But would any sorry to pop quiz you? No, would please. any of those regulations with corn, soybean, mm-hmm. hemp get in the way from of me literally planting a hemp plant in my backyard? Well, is I that, think <clears throat> what you'd find more often is is local zoning. Sure. Okay. Um, you know, are you zoned for agricultural use? Um, and so, it, since it requires an agriculture license, mm-hmm. if I try to execute that license on right. a residential property, is right. that what you're saying? And you, you got to check. I'm glad I'm your, talking to a person yeah. that's familiar with zoning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when and I first moved to Massachusetts, uh, I actually worked for the Massachusetts Municipal Association. Yeah. I did start off with the Cannabis Commission. I had we had a number of legislative analysts that worked with cities and towns, all 351 of them in Mass. Um, and my position was sort of a grab bag. Everybody else was like energy and the environment, labor, and then there was me uh, with like zoning, liquor licenses cannabis. Yeah. I mean, it was just a, it was a weird grab bag of issues. So zoning was first, you know, I thought about that. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it was something else I was thinking, um, in the course of what you were saying about people getting engaged with the legislative process. Yeah. I think equally important is people getting engaged at the local level, which is yes. where so much of this change actually happens. It's good. You should call your, your legislators at the state level. You should call your congressmen and your senators, um, when you're upset about something, especially on the 
the topic of cannabis, right? They have the ability to change a lot of that. But the, the most direct impact you can have is at the local level. Yep. So work with them because, I mean, even right now, I mean, about every week, you know, you see some city or town in Illinois or, or village working toward um, either banning cannabis sales there or, or allowing it. And, you know, I think often there's, there's one perspective that's overwhelmingly um, heard there or present there. Uh, in those hearings, and it's good to get engaged at the local level. It's, yeah. it's vital to get engaged at the local level. It's so important. And again, I'm not weighing in on, on either side of that. I'm not saying that any city or town or municipality's decisions are right or wrong. Uh, but what I am saying is that it's important to be engaged in that process. Yeah. And uh, if you'd like the most impact, do yes. it locally. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, um, so we talked about your role in regulating hemp mm-hmm. in Illinois. Is there anything else that you want to just speak about with regard to hemp in Illinois? Um, nope, I mean, are. is it going well or are a lot of farmers doing it? That's my thing. I've mm-hmm. talked to farmers and I'm from a kind of conservative area. And so it takes so long to even convince them like, no, it's not realistic that teenagers are going to break in and try to smoke your hemp. That'd be like teenagers trying to break in and steal your agricultural feed corn. Right. It's not sweet corn, buddy. Don't <laughs> eat not, it. Yes. It's not, you know, you get my I do. analogy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to, if, especially for some of the industrial hemp, you're going to have to smoke a lot <laughs> yeah. before you and even get any impact. Yeah. That's not what it's for. And it's not what it's for. So, um, but, but I just wanted to ask you, yeah, before we moved on, uh, is it picking up the acceptance and the practice or do you like, I'm trying to ask, could it be like, I feel like, of course, it could always be larger, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to just get a sense for how many people are actually growing hemp. Yeah. I mean, we've got um, we've got a fair amount of acreage. I pulled that out because I thought you'd ask. Um, you know, so we had 1,177 acres planted in 2021. Could, again, could it grow? Yes, I think so. Sure. But I think that's going to be a multi-year process. It's more than... Uh, 2020, yep. 2019, maybe, right? Well, yeah, well it, when did the hemp program start? So, industri- you know, so the Farm Bill legalized hemp in 2018. The first yeah. crop was 2019. And of course there were challenges, right? There were challenges getting seeds. This was the first time any of these farmers had ever really worked with it outside yeah. of the, the pilot program with the industrial, excuse me, hemp program here in Illinois. Um, and then, of course, the next year, uh, right about a planting season is when COVID hit. You know, so there were shutdowns. There were massive market disruptions. Every commodity price dropped like a rock. I mean, treasuries were all over the place. Smart stock market was crashing. Um, and that made it a really difficult year for hemp growers, right? Mm-hmm. You're only in the second year of an experimental crop. The infrastructure to turn it into something that people want to buy had a number of challenges. I mean, and like everyone else, there were challenges getting people to work, not, yeah. not to work. I, w- I don't want to get into that debate. Um, there were challenges in getting people who were trained to do the things they needed them to do where they were because of concerns about the virus. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we, we, we went through yeah, that. How to practically do it. Not, you're right. not talking about the motivation. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Literally practically. I wanted to, to clarify. Yeah, for yeah. You. yeah. Um, and it was hard. Um, I will say, I, I think that the hemp farmers here persevered, they adapted, they overcame. Um, but that's not to say it wasn't a challenging set of years. It sure. was. And I know that I feel that in my gut, you know, I come from, I've got farmers in my family too. Um, and we're, we're trying to make everything that we can easier so that the hurdles that we have, anything we have control over, we can make better. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's what, that's what our, the chief mission I've given to our new hemp manager is how can we do better? I want to work with you sometimes totally separate. I mean, kind of separate. Yeah. I want to work with you sometime. I'm kind of joking when I say mm-hmm. this, but also kind of serious to come up with a fact sheet about how great hemp is. So I can just hand it to some of these farmers yeah. that I talk to like, look, 
you know, here it's like, we can, we can look through this, look up the citations. Mm-hmm. This is all real stuff. You know, sure. but anyways, that's just a funny idea. I'm throwing well, out no, there. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And in fact, I, I know it's kind of funny that the sign behind me here, that's a big part of the reason that we have the hemp summit. Cool. So the first one was in 2019. It was in person. Um, again, obviously disruptions happen after sure. that. So we had one virtually in 2021. We had one virtually this year. Um, my real hope is that we're going to be in person again for the hemp summit in 2023. Um, we're working on okay. getting that together. And I think that stuff like that is so key because when we get people, I mean, we had almost a thousand people tune into the hemp summit virtually last year, which is a big number yeah. for a hemp summit for the department of agriculture. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and we really appreciate, I mean, the Lieutenant governor, the governor were involved, they did videos and that's a huge deal. And we, we really appreciate their leadership on this. Um, Lieutenant governor Stratton has been hugely invested in agriculture in general, and also this program is in, in particular. And I'm really thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, next year I want to get them together because you get farmers who are interested. That's why I've been doing it in February when a lot of farmers have a little bit more time where they can get away and say, you know, come to Springfield to, or Peoria. We haven't decided where it's going to be yet, yeah. but, um, to talk about this. Either you know, way, and, it sounds like I might be there. Yeah, no, <laughs> and you should be on yeah. have people, you know, real farmers, Last year, we had a number of farmers on panels who said, yeah, I, I was skeptical too. And then I did it a couple of years and it's great, you know, and, and that they are, they are at the forefront of developing the technologies, the procedures that you need to make it a successful agricultural industry. Yeah. And see, that's the thing that I think my, uh, the other side of it, besides stigma that I think is mm-hmm. holding us back, uh, just through my conversations with researchers at mm-hmm. SIU, they pointed out to me, and I never thought about it this mm-hmm. way. And I'm sure you have, uh, especially since you're here at the mm-hmm. Department of Ag, but our technology with regard to cannabis is 70 years behind the rest of the agricultural con- yes. technology. And by that, mm-hmm. I mean, for folks that are wondering if like, we don't have a combine for hemp. Precisely. And that was, <laughs> that was exactly what I was going to mention to you right after you finished. Yes. Yeah. And we're getting there. Yeah. You know, and, and that again is being driven by these farmers who are enormously innovative, mm-hmm. right? They have kind of, you know, invented their own machines to do some of these things. Are they the most efficient they could be? No. But that's but how it started with corn, right? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> how it starts. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, some of the bigger guys look at that and say, we could build that. Yeah. But or we could do it better. Yeah, exactly. Right. Bingo. Yeah. Um, and that's what we need. You yep. know, I, I want the private sector to pick up that innovation and say, okay, this is a real thing. You know, it, it's, let's get it out of the stigma. And, and this is a federally legal product, right? Um, at the time, Senate majority leader, Mitch McConnell signed the farm bill with his hemp pen, mm-hmm. um, to send it up to the Trump administration where it was executed. Right. I mean, this is not a partisan issue. Yeah. It is a, it is a, and look, Kentucky's doing great. They're yeah. one of the leaders in hemp policy. Um, what's the other one, Montana, mm-hmm. Montana, huge leader in hemp. Um, and so we're always looking at ways, you know, Hey, what is it? What are other States doing that we could be doing better? Yeah. Um, and that's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about that we're, we want to make sure that if there are resources out there, if there are things that we could be doing, uh, that would encourage this industry, that would support this industry as regulators that we're doing them. Yeah. And there's, I, I'm, I'm a very big proponent against reinventing the wheel, right? Yeah. There's too much to do. And if someone else is doing something better, I, I have no pride. I will steal it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I'm going to, you brought up that moment with Mitch McConnell and his mm-hmm. pen. I'm going to loosely quote him from that moment. Uh, he, he said, Let's talk about uh, hemp's illicit cousin, mm-hmm. cannabis. I, as you already know, uh, I don't like referring to it as something differently. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's like a le- that's what I talked about with the researchers. Is mm-hmm. it frustrated to have a legislator tell you what the science, like what the scientific name is? Again, we don't have to get into that philosoph- 
mm-hmm. uh, philosophical, yeah. that philosophical debate. Thank you. So it is frustrating for me to like have to parse these subjects out because I believe they should be one subject together. And I, some people point out, they're like, you're just getting caught up in little words. Sure. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. I'm getting up. I'm get, it's vernacular that I'm getting caught up with, sure. but I think it's important. Anyways, we don't have to get into that. Well, but to um, that point, you know, semantics do matter because when if you call yourself, again, to the point we discussed earlier, if you call yourself a cannabis farmer versus a hemp farmer, there's very real impacts on, for instance, how you can use pesticides, yeah. how you can be, how you can access federal resources or tax, you know, tax break incentives, or how you can access banking um, or things that you can write off for tax purposes. So semantics do matter and that the differentiation does matter. Um, you know, I didn't I, think I, about it that way. Am I frustrated at times? You know, it, it is, this is the, the, the democratic process, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it is a, it is an educational and learning process where you know, citizens, lawmakers, regulators, we're all learning together. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that the best way to approach that is, you know, essentially what we're doing now, right? I mean, we're, we're learning together. Illinois has decided to be a leader in this. Um, but that means there's, there's road bumps because you're the first ones to find them. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. We're paving the way. Yes. So, um, yeah, I never actually thought about that just to dwell on that for a moment that it is important. It is an important difference. And the fact that we have made that distinction means that what you have to deal with is vastly different. Like you just said with hemp might not have much to worry about at all with banking, but with Mm -hmm. cannabis, you may have something to worry about with banking. As we've talked about, and as Shalene's pointed out, some Mm -hmm. people will do just fine, Mm -hmm. but some people have problems and that's an Mm -hmm. issue. So, so yeah, thank you for, I've never thought about it in that way. So it it, it is a difference. So something you brought up earlier, um, that I'd like to talk about in the spirit of making a process, I think you said smooth, functional Mm -hmm. and easy to use or something Mm -hmm. to that uh, effect. Um, let's talk about the process. Well, before we talk about the process to expand canopy, can I just ask you candidly as I feel like you're one of the best people to ask, um, when do you think an operator, like, uh, let's just talk about a craft cultivator because mm-hmm. that's what ends up having product on the shelf. Sure. When do you think, do you have a feeling for when an operator might actually start operating at all from a regular, like for, you have mm-hmm. these conversations, does, yep. do any of them seem like they're ready to pop those seeds into soil? I think we're getting close. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder because that's going to be a really big day. Um, but I think we're getting close. Um, just, uh, I think a month and a half ago, we announced that we had issued the first three pre-operation or pre-construction permits. Um, we've had we've had more since then. Um, what does that mean? So that's the that's the the ability for them to start moving forward with construction or building. Okay. Um, where they're at. So some some craft growers are building from scratch. Some have found what they believe to be good buildings that they are renovating to to serve the purpose. Um, and it's not just craft growers, right? Infusers are getting close. We've had some transporters already already clear those hurdles. Um, right now we've got probably close to a dozen craft growers and infusers who are almost ready to start building. Um, and I think that that number is going to keep increasing over time. Now, most of these obviously are are folks who got their licenses in 2021. Um, that first round of licenses, the department of ag did, um, which I think, you know, sometimes gets lost in the, in the wider cannabis shuffle, right? I mean, we had a hugely successful rollout in, in June of or August of last year. Um, again, a massively equitable cohort, uh, and another one. Uh, in December, where we announced, you know, the next set of infusers. Um, and then again, this June, uh, when we when we announced our uh, next round of 48 craft growers. So, you know, I think people don't, un- again, this isn't the exciting part of the industry right here. Yeah. Today, but I mean, we, we 
regulate a huge chunk of the industry. So the Cannabis uh, Community College Vocational Pilot Program, which I know that you and I have talked about before, hugely important to me. Mm -hmm. um, these, these community colleges are going to be training the next generation of leaders in cannabis across the board. Um, if you go out now, and, and I'm sure you've heard this too, when you talk to some of the more, the really highly trained folks out there, you know, if you, you want to go see the, the master bud tender or something like that out there, more often than not, they went to school in Colorado or they went to school in Oregon. And I want to change that around. And I think we're doing that already. Mm -hmm. You know, a year from now, when you go into these places, I want them to say proudly, yeah, I went to one of our community colleges in Illinois. You know, I went to SWIC. You know, I, I went to any of these other colleges that, that are participating in this program. And I, I, I learned it here and I'm going to stay here. And, and not only that, I, I want it to when you go do an interview in the new medical program in Missouri, they say the same thing. You know, yeah. you go across the river. Well, I got, I went, I went across the river and got trained or Michigan or, well, Indiana is a different story, but you know, Minnesota, <laughs> yeah. any of those, I want them to say, I, I learned this trade in Illinois and you know, when people come here, they're going to stay here. Yeah. Um, we are truly, I mean, we are generating the, the new lead, the new generation of these leaders in science, in the industry, in leadership, in the frontline workers, management, business, all of them are going to start learning that trade here. I mean, you've, you've had conversations. I just saw, was it last week in, at SIUC? Yeah. 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 Um, they're doing great work. Mm -hmm. U of I, the extension school, they're doing incredible things, pushing forward the frontier of knowledge on this issue. Um, now, you know, those are separate things, but I want Illinois to be a leader in this. And I think we are. Yeah. Um, you know, there's 189 transporters licensed by the department. You know, once the craft growers and new dispensary licenses are up and running, they're going to be, they're the foundation of the whole industry. They're yeah. how the product gets from A to B. Um, and we've got the infusers, which, which make the products that are going to go into the dispensaries from the craft growers. And of course, the ADA craft growers, which is the, the thing I think most people talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're, we're, we're really, we are growing, right? This mm -hmm. industry is expanding again, over 300 licenses here at the department of ag, um, that are kind of the base of a functional cannabis industry. Yeah. You know, you can't, as we've discussed, cannabis is a plant. It has mm -hmm. to grow. Uh, it's like any other agriculture, right? It does. <laughs> uh, especially, um, when you want to get a new strain, when you want to get something that, um, <laughs> I mean, it's the, the innovation out there is incredible. You know, when I, go out to a facility and it's there's a product called pineapple juice and you smell the flower and it smells like pineapple juice. Yeah. You know, that stuff takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so it doesn't just, you don't put a seed in and say, got this. Right, right. Right. You know, and, and that, I think that we're doing it right. You know, mm -hmm. the, the first craft growers are going to be built out before these, the, these new dispensaries are completely done. And I think we're going to manage that growth, uh, on roughly parallel tracks. And I'm, yeah. I'm, after all the challenges of, of this industry the last couple of years, I'm, I am really thrilled and proud that it's going to work out that way. Yeah. And um, it, it's, I mean, it's important to bring up what you brought up because even if you plant the seeds, like you say, it takes, takes time. I've talked to craft cultivators to see when they thought they might be ready. And they're like, yeah, we might have the seeds in, but whether or not that product is mm -hmm. something we're confident to send to the stores, that's a different story. Yes. And it'll probably take a generation or two before they do feel that way. Yeah. Um, and again, some of them are going to nail it right off the bat, but that's kind of the way this yeah. works. It's a biological process. Yeah. So not trying to get people's hopes up, but again, do you, I mean, do you think like people will have seeds in the soil this year, at least, at least seeds in the soil? I really Does it believe feel that, that that's a possibility. Okay. I do. Cool. Um, that's exciting. I, it is genuinely, it is extremely exciting. I mean, we are moving forward. This, this industry is moving forward. It's growing. It is, is moving along quick now. Yeah. Um, 
And I mean, it's worth saying, uh, cannabis businesses, uh, in addition to the other challenges they face, are facing the, bu- the challenges that literally every other business is facing right now. Um, yes. It just so happens that these guys are building these capital-intensive, complicated buildings <laughs> while the state of Illinois passed a bond bill. Uh, so a lot of folks who are working on roads, on bridges, um, you know, other infrastructure needs in the state, plus, you know, the biggest federal infrastructure bill in 30 years, both those things are kicking in at the same time. So. Yeah. There are only so many people you can find to do that, and there are only so many materials. Um, I mean, all in the news last year was, you know, people couldn't find lumber for their decks or, or all the other things they were doing. Mm-hmm. These are challenges that um, cannabis businesses face, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, know, there's so a, con- it, or a sand shortage right now. <laughs> yes. So concrete and glass. Right. Fertilizer. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to your point earlier, if they were using hempcrete, you know, yeah. maybe we could get around all this. Yeah, so there maybe you go. someday. There you go. Well, um, but those challenges are out there and we, we are cognizant of them. We've tried to work with them. You know, we've um, something that's got a lot of traction in the community, but not to a wider extent is that we have the statute has a pretty clear operational deadline. So they're supposed to be operational so many months after you get a license. Mm. Uh, we've extended that now four times and it'll ultimately be, I think, 19 months later than the original time frame. Once that license was issued, because we understand that there were delays in licensing, it is taking longer inflation, uh, supply chain issues. Those are all challenges. Yeah. You know, again, we're not, we're not out here looking to make things more difficult where we have the ability to make things easier for our licensees. We will. Yeah. Um, and, and that's another example of that is that we're trying to give them as long as possible an on-ramp to get built and ready because we're fully aware of those challenges. Ask the question that I was going to ask, yeah. uh, or you answered a question I was going to ask, mm-hmm. which is that I, I was keen, uh, somewhat aware of those mm-hmm. deadlines, but I was going to ask if there was going to be any grace and you're giving it. It sounds like there is. We so have, yes, an extensive amount. Awesome. Um, like we are we're not here to just sort of bring <laughs> yeah. down the hammer. If you, you step slightly out of line, we're here to help ensure compliance, ensure safety. And those pieces are important. Um, you know, the, the statute requires, you know, blueprints and things like that. And it's incumbent upon us to make sure that you're not, your building isn't going to collapse. So there's not, you know, all of the extraction is at C1D1 standards and things like that. So it does require work and that, that is a lengthy review process. And, and I, look, I know there's frustration right now about the length of time some of that takes. Yeah. And, and I get it. And I just have to, again, reiterate, you know, we went from regulating a, a, a licensed pool of 21, um, license pool of over 300 close to 400 mm-hmm. um and there are growing pains associated with that and, and you know i think we kind of stabilized we were getting those those turnaround times pretty low and, and now they've gone up a little bit again that's because we have to do our due diligence and we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing yeah and we'll, we'll keep staffing up um we brought on uh, we're working with an engineering firm in terms of the blueprint reviews to make sure that you know again at every stage we're professionalizing it it's transparent and it's consistent those are important things and that's vital from a regulatory perspective for the private sector to work as well as it can. And that's yeah. what we're working on. Yeah. Well, in, in the spirit of, uh, craft grow and processes, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to talk about the process to expand canopy for mm-hmm. craft growers. I've talked to, to many, um, people that are licensees that are just unaware and, um, we'd spoke about it. It sounds like it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Can you, uh, explain the process for what, what the process is going to look like to expand your canopy as a craft grower? Yeah. So that process is actually laid out in the statute. Um, it's in the, it's actually in the definition section, uh, for craft growers. And so, you know, we're going to, we're in the process of, of, of fleshing that process out in, in rule. 
Um, you know, we'll be working with licensees on that. Um, we want to get that done quickly. Um, but the, the fundamentals are there. There is a, an established process already set up for that expansion. Um, and we'll be working with licensees, but the requirement and statute, you know, they do need to be operational, mm -hmm. right? And so we're working on that process um, so that, again, that, that process grows with, with the industry and they have, you know, but I guess the message I would want to send is that process exists and we will continue to work with licensees who meet those statutory obligations and requirements, you know, to, to start working on that expansion as soon as they're able. Yeah. What is the, um, you mentioned you're working on it, but what does mm -hmm. the process look like? Like grab yeah. a form like the agent card process or what is it? I think ultimately that's what it will be. Uh, there will be basically a, a, an application for canopy expansion, you know, with the requirements laid out in statute. Have you met these? Yes. You'll work with our licensing team, verify with the inspections team and we'll move forward. I, I anticipate that being as smooth Mm -hmm. easy a process as we can possibly make it. We just have to make sure that we're meeting the statutory obligations laid out for that process in the CRTA. What, what are some of those, like, like how would somebody be best prepared to expand their canopy? Uh, the, I would say the first and foremost uh, required by statute is uh, we're required to take into account compliance history. So just make ah, sure you're following like the rules. I like that. Um, and, you know, that that was borrowed, I know, from many other states. Um, you know, Massachusetts is a tiered system for for cultivators. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have to be meeting these benchmarks and then you can move up. If you're at this tier and you're not meeting those benchmarks, you move back down. Um, you know, I think that that, that process is, is what Illinois looked at when, when that section was written. Mm -hmm. um, you know, market conditions, et cetera. We want to make sure that we're not... Uh, going through what's happening in Michigan right now, where there's been, I think, a 75% decline in wholesale flower prices since January, um, because that does hit small businesses. That hits equity businesses. They're not, you can't, there's only so long you can weather that. Um, this has happened in Oregon, in uh, Washington State. Um, you know, so making sure that those, all those conditions are considered, um, and that's incumbent upon the department. But to your point, just make sure you're working with us to stay compliant. I think that's the single biggest issue. Um, all right, I'm trying to call David Lakeman. All right, I've got David Lakeman on the phone. David, good morning. Thanks for uh, joining me uh, on the phone. So, absolutely happy to happy to connect again. Yeah. Um, so, uh, thanks again for sitting down with me. I think a lot of people are gonna benefit from seeing the conversation, as you said. Uh, it's nice for people to get a look under the hood, right? Um, so the only two questions that I had that I stepped away from our interview on and I, I felt unclear on was whether or not, we'll start with the first question. Um, am I correct to understand that a craft grower must be operational at the 5,000 square feet uh, before they can request expansions um, in those increments of 3,000 square feet? Under the current statute, that is correct. Cool. The language in the statute lays out a set of requirements that we are in the process of um, fleshing out via rule um, that will lay out the specific requirements you know, and, and the process here at the department. Um, but the, the statute is pretty clear that you know, it anticipates the licensee being functional and operational um, prior to those expansions. So, you know, unless there is some sort of statutory change, uh, 
the department intends to follow the process laid out currently in the CRTA. Cool, makes sense. And so I guess another way of asking that same question, um, am I correct to understand that it is not possible for a craft grower to open with 14,000 square foot right off the bat? That's correct. Um, even if there were, uh, you know, even if there were the issues regarding, um, you know, the licensee's history of compliance or non-compliance were not there. Uh, again, the statute's still pretty clear that the, the starting line is, is that 5,000 square feet. Cool. Um, moving up in three in 3,000 square foot increments from that point. Right. Cool. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better that I read the law correctly. Um, nope. <laughs> exactly right. Cool. So my second question, it's kind of related to what you just brought up. I feel like the licensee's history of compliance or non-compliance is pretty straightforward. I mean, people should be following the rules if they want to, um, you know, increase their canopy space. That makes sense. Um, I wanted to ask you, I was reading the law and it says that the Department of Agriculture may authorize an increase or decrease in flowering stage cultivation space in increments of 3,000 feet, as we talked about. Um, but in the law, it says by rule based on market need, craft grower capacity, and the licensee's history of compliance or non-compliance. My question is, what is by rule based on market need and craft grower capacity mean within the law? That question is one we're going to have to resolve as we work, go through the rules process, um, which is you know back and forth with stakeholders, with the legislature, um, you know, and and obviously a lot of lawyers as well, making sure that uh, we've done that correctly. But that that's a process the legislature intended the department, at least our reading of it is to um, you know kind of establish via rule, uh, which is again it's a process we're engaged in. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so it's not been fleshed out yet is really what I'm, what I'm hearing, uh, like what the, the, the meaning of market need and craft grower capacity is still something that needs to be fleshed out. Is that correct? That's correct. Gotcha. And I, I know that I'm not asking you to like guess, but would it, would it require some sort of demand study? Do you imagine like, Again, that's part of the process. We'll have to work out exactly what that looks like. Sure. Um, we want to make sure that we're meeting the, we are meeting the requirements in the statute while also being responsive, you know, as we hear it from licensees and, and we know that there are market demands out there, you know, we want to make sure that we're responsive to those as well. Cool. Well, David, I, uh, that's all I have for you. Um, I really appreciate you hopping back on the phone call to provide uh, some sort of clarity to those questions. Uh, really the clarity it sounds like is that, um, you know, some of those things still need to be, to be fleshed out exactly what they mean and what they would, uh, entail. That's right. Cool. All right. You know, we just want also want to make sure that it's not, we're not flooding the market or feeding diversion. Are you saying that like limiting, I'm trying to figure out from the regu from a regulatory standpoint what the purpose of some of these limitations are. And if I mean you you said one of them is to prevent wholesale prices from dropping to to not 
you know, affect small operators, but are there other like purposes to these types? Like to me, like tomatoes are cheap and that's not a problem. Sure. So like, um, and high scale, you know, large scale tomato cultivators can thrive along craft, uh, tomato cultivators and they, they thrive alongside home gardeners. I mean, my mom has the greatest tomatoes and Del Monte is not beating down her door about it. Right. Um, what is it with cannabis that we're so like worried about letting it just play, play out? Like what's the regulatory purpose of not? Sure. And I think the, the key factor here is that it is primarily statutory, right? And so this was what the people's representatives through their legislature decided the industry was look, would look like. And as a regulator, my job is to execute that, that yep. law, right? Yep. And so that, that's what I'm doing. And we're, you know, when the law says you have to do this, that's what the regulation will look like to execute it, mm-hmm. right? And so if there are changes to that, of course, we're, we will make that happen however it needs to be. Um, but for the time being, that's how the legislature decided that they wanted this to run. Absolutely. Um, and again, I, I want to be very careful uh, in terms of editorializing there. Um, the one key factor I do, I do think is important, though, is that, you know, DeMonte can trade their tomatoes across state lines. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the, the, the free market can actually work for mm-hmm. that. Right. So there was a case in 2019, right. Where, when Nevada got legal, Oregon had been, there was a huge glut in Oregon. I mean, you're talking like pennies for grams I mean, mm-hmm. truly. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas in Nevada, you couldn't find it anywhere. Right. And if you could, it was insanely expensive in a normal situation where interstate commerce is possible. Well, that's an easy fix. Oregon farmers ship their stuff over to Nevada, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we can't do that. Um, you know, with this, uh, I know it's been widely reported, and, I, and not to single out any of my colleagues in, across the, the country, all of whom I think are, are doing a good job. You know, there's a, I've been reading a lot about this sort of huge crop that's coming from Michigan in October. Um, there's only so much capacity a state by, you know, a state by itself can absorb um, so long as those interstate limits are enforced. And I do think that that is a key consideration, a key difference with tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, are there always areas for improvement? Yes. And I'm always happy to, to be a resource or to, to consider those. Um, you know, but that is, that is the one challenge and one difference in what you're saying for yeah. right now. Do you feel that like capping the number of licenses conflicts with the end goal of social equity by inherently, and in, in my opinion, artificially screaming out the screening out the number of possible business owners and see again that's that's an entirely legislative question right that's that's their role is to set that policy for me to execute and i yeah. you know as a regulator it's not my role to, to weigh in on that um but to to execute the laws that were given as equitably as and efficiently as i can yeah you get conceptually what i'm saying though if, if you are limiting mm-hmm. that's part of the word art you are limiting mm-hmm. so that means people will be excluded i get that you, yeah and again, you know, that's, that is how the people through the representatives legalized yeah. it here. Yeah. Um, you know, and they have the ability, as you said, to, to engage. And if that's ultimately a, if the state wants to go a different direction, right? None of that's set in stone. Yeah. Um, I just contrast it with like hemp, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, I mean, you just said it, it's, I could probably go on a website and get the license today, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe not walk away with it today, but start the process, you know? Yeah. So just contrasting that with cannabis. It's well, if you applied now, you might have it by the end of the day. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, 
the Chilinoy hemp soap could be coming to a store near you <laughs> in the go. next couple of months here. There we go. And yeah, I've got hemp soap, TMI people, but I'm using hemp soap tonight. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> just speaking of Illinois law before we start to close, mm-hmm. um, Illinois law, there's a few sections in it and this is why I've got my papers here because sure. I wanted to not like go off the top of my head that no person or entity shall hold any legal, equitable ownership or beneficial interest directly or indirectly of more than three cultivation centers under this article, AKA the CRTA. Mm-hmm. Um, I have recently stumbled across a company, Innovative Industrial Properties, and I actually checked their website again and they claim to own 100% of seven cultivation centers, which has changed since the last time I read. Um, based off of how the law reads and based off of that, like, how are they able to do that? And again, you know, if that's something that they're doing, we investigate it, right? And that's how regulation works. You know, we, we get when there is a process for changes in ownership. And, and we do take a look at those to make sure that the law is being followed. And, you know, in cases where you know, there are allegations that it's not, you know, of course, that's something we're going to look into. It's something we take very seriously. Um, it is a, one of the more difficult things to track down, um, because sometimes those structures are opaque. Sometimes, you know, tracking down who owns what is difficult, you know, and I know that my colleagues at DFPR are also working very diligently on this. It's something we take very seriously. The execution of those laws is important and making sure that those, those limitations are in place is important. Right? It's yeah. something we worked very carefully on in, in Massachusetts, right? We, um, there was a spotlight article about ownership and we worked with the legislature and laws changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so if these, these, there are, as we discussed, I mean, policy, there are, there are policy areas that move just as quickly as the science, right? And sometimes yeah. it's hard to keep up in, in those areas as well, but we're doing our best to make sure that, you know, when we hear things like that, when frankly, when reporters like you find things, we look into them. Hey, don't call me a reporter. I'm just joking. I always feel weird when people call me a journalist because really I'm just trying to talk with people and have fun. Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, I just, again, I mean, when they say, when the law says they shouldn't hold any legal, equitable ownership or beneficial interest directly or indirectly, and this is their website and, mm-hmm. and Cresco and the other companies mm-hmm. that, that work with this, they say that this is what they're doing. They own the cultivation center, but Cresco is operating it. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm just trying to figure out like how that's not in... Um, how that doesn't conflict with the law, you know, that seems like sure. clearly they're over the limit. Well, and it depends on what they mean when they say own, right. And I'm not, that sounds like the most dodgy thing I could possibly say. Yeah. And I know I feel bad, but they say they own a hundred percent of it on their website. Right. And folks across any industry, not just cannabis can be imprecise, I'm not covering for or trying to defend any actions there, but what they say and what the actual reality is may be different. Um, and I can't weigh on in any specific instance of this, you know, but what I can say is that we, we are very diligent in enforcing those provisions. And, you know, when things are brought to us, when we find them through, um, our review of their financial structures or through the renewals, you know, we, we take all of this very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do review those things. I, what, what is that like ownership like what does the review process for changes in ownership look like is, and is it outlined in the law? Like, can I just read about it? You can, uh, but then, you know, we can't get into the specifics of say what an individual investigation would look like or an individual. Sure. Review. We don't, yeah, we don't yeah. have to, but just at a, at a high level. Cause I know that there was 
one recently with Cresco where they, they were over the limit and in a press release, they admitted it, that they were going to divest from those licenses. So it's good to see an operator be aware of what they, how they have to be compliant. But I'm asking you like at a, at a, without getting into specific Uh specifics, what does that process look like? Do you call them? It, It depends on the situation. And I know, again, that's not an easy answer, but it, it truly does. It depends on how it comes to our attention, how, how it's found, if they're up front with something and work with us on, for instance, divestiture process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so much of what a regulatory body does is, you know, it's like the, the iceberg metaphor, right? So much of it is, is under the water and you, you don't see it and probably never will. Um, it's the same for, for ownership issues, working with, you know, the resources we have to make sure that, you know, situations like the ones you raise are, are following the law. And mm-hmm. if they're not making sure that compliance is achieved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just one where, you know, I don't mean to dwell on it, but I think it's important. Like this company claims to own a hundred percent of seven cultivation centers. And to your point about uh, whether or not those numbers are accurate mm-hmm. or, you know, they are a publicly traded company, so mm-hmm. I'd be remiss if I didn't say they might be publishing that information so that they look better to investors, right? Not I'm not trying. I'm not trying to give them. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying. I'm going out of my way to give mm-hmm. them the benefit of the doubt. Sure. Actually, with that one, that mm-hmm. that that's me being graceful. Um, but uh, yeah, this is something that it's like when when I read that no person or entity shall hold any legal, equitable ownership or beneficial interest directly or indirectly. I was like, that seems. That seems clear. Like if it was um, operator, that's what mm-hmm. I thought it was. Well, they're like, well, we're, we're operating it. We mm-hmm. don't own it. And I thought maybe like that's how they're getting around it. But this like seems very clear that this, this, yeah, should, I don't think it should, should happen. But I realize this is a tough question, but this is one of my last tough questions for you. Um, are there things outside of your scope and purview that you wish were in your scope and purview? Well, I mean, do I wish that uh, I could control a congressional majority on this issue? <laughs> you, you bet. Um, you know, in terms of what other things, you know, I, I, I've got quite enough on my plate without, you know, looking above it. Not looking for more. Um, I'm not looking for more. Um, you know, we're here to be a partner to the industry, you know, and a regulatory, uh, provide a regulatory oversight, provide regulatory oversight. Um, you know, we're here as a partner with the legislature and, and the people's representatives and senators to, you know, work with them on changes that they have or, you know, as a subject matter expert. And, I, and I'm happy doing that. I think that we have a great deal of uh, institutional knowledge of, you know, not regulatory knowledge that we can bring if, if anyone needs it. Um, you know, but right now we've, we've got our hands pretty full with, with just doing this piece of it. Yeah. Um, so, um, last time we spoke, it said something along the lines of, um, you know, you think there's a number of proposals out there that would make the industry more equitable. You've got a history in social equity. Um, from your perspective, what are some proposals that would make for a more equitable industry or do make for a more equitable industry? Yeah. And again, I mean, I think that there are a lot of proposals out there and I think that there are some that, you know, could have a really strong impact. You know, my job again is to weigh in on those, um, you know, we, we talked about this in kind of our intro, you know, my, my, co- my former colleague, Shaleen Title, um, we were just out in Boston, got to see her and, and chat a little bit more. Um, you know, she speaks pretty eloquently on this. Uh, there are a number of folks out there, um, 
you know, again, my role here, make sure that we're executing those laws as equitably as we can. And I think we've done that. You know, again, the, that new, the new round of, of equity of applications that we, we just approved, the 48 licenses, 100% social equity. Um, I'm proud of that. I think that's the law functioning exactly the way that it was supposed to. Are there things that, that could be better? There always are. Yeah. Right. And we're still learning. Um, you know, the pandemic hit, I think, just two weeks before the licensing process was scheduled to begin. And all of that was supposed to happen here. You know, got a chance to walk through the little airplane hangar over here. Um, you know, all of that was supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had to change everything almost literally overnight. Every part of what that application process looked like was it as fast as people wanted it to be. Absolutely not. It wasn't as fast as I would have liked it to be. But those challenges were immense. Um, and we had to change everything about how we approach that. And again, you have to do it right because you don't want to have been trying to change quickly and have that, that change negatively impact someone because you missed it. Yeah. And it's harder to turn the, the ship around. It's a point that Shaleen's made, you know, with regard to uh, this is I, I like, I hope you don't hold it against me for hammering uh, my question about ownership limits. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that if you were in my shoes and you found out about this, you'd have the same exact curiosity. That's of course it's, it's just curiosity. My point is it's the point Shaleen's made. Once you start that train, it's hard to turn it around. So that's why she's made some of these policy proposals, which mm -hmm are in effect in Illinois. And I'm not saying uh -huh. it's directly a result of her, as you've pointed out multiple times, it's a result of our legislature. Uh -huh. um, but ownership, those ownership limits exist to keep people at the same, uh -huh. you know, size so that one operator is no bigger than, an, than another. And so, um, you know, I bring that up in the spirit of, of trying to make sure we, we make all this, the, the right decisions now, because, um, as we've learned with alcohol, tobacco, and so many other industries, and I don't mean to relate cannabis to alcohol and tobacco, but it's just easy. Sure. Um, we could definitely talk about Walmart, you know, mm -hmm. like Walmart's everywhere. There's not a lot of small mom and pop grocery stores anymore. Um, the point is, I hope that doesn't happen with cannabis. And that's why um, for some things I really, you know, find it, find it interesting. So um, overall, know, and, and I think ahead. that that's, you know, that's a vision for the whole state. And I think that, you know, my colleagues at the Department of Financial and Professional Regulation who handle, you know, the dispensary side, uh, Department of Public Health and all of the other agencies that have a hand in cannabis, uh, the Cannabis Regulation Oversight Office, you know, that is something that we focus on a lot in making sure that again, and I know now I'm repeating myself, but you know, we don't get ossified in our process. We don't get complacent. Uh, and it's hard when you're still uh, building the plane midair uh, to be complacent, yeah. I, will, I will tell you. Um, you know, but we, we spend a lot of time working, working with folks in the industry, making sure that we're keeping an ear to the ground and addressing these things as they come up. We want to be nimble. We want to be efficient and quick with this because of those changes to make sure that, you know, it's not just the letter of the law that's being followed, but also the spirit. That's important. Yeah. Um, I've got some Chilinoy goodies before you go, but you brought up the CRO. I, for, I forgot. So do you report to um, Paul Isaac or do you report to somebody at the Illinois Department of Agriculture? Yeah. So I, it's a, you know, the oversight office works with, <laughs> that's great. So appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so what are these? Those are rolling papers, you know, for a good night. <laughs> yeah. There yep. you go. Um, so we, you know, I report to the, the director of the department of agriculture. So, you know, my boss is, um, director Costello here. Um, and then we, we all work with the cannabis regulation oversight office. Um, you know, we, coordinate reports, make sure there's information sharing, that sort of thing. So, um, it is a separate, it's a separate body 
again, established by statute, it is intended not to be regulatory. Right. Um, it works to just coordinate the efforts of those other agencies that are involved. Gotcha. Gotcha. So your boss reports to uh, crew Paul Isaac or what is that the Paul Isaac's his name, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's the cannabis regulation oversight officer, but my, you know, my, my boss, the director, he reports to the governor, right? mm-hmm. his, his, his boss is, is governor Pritzker. Yeah. Um, and then we just all work together on issues where, you know, the agricultural, the DOA stuff intersects with the DFPR piece of it. Right. You know, we, they help serve a coordination role. And of course we work with our sister agencies as well. Um, you know, it's definitely a complicated structure, yeah. um, but they're, uh, they're a great resource for the, for the regulatory agencies. Yeah. And I'm not asking you to weigh in on this, mm-hmm. uh, but I just wanted to let people know that there have been proposals to change that regulatory structure mm-hmm. so that it's, uh, like one body, not like, you know, this is happening at the Illinois department of ag. This is happening at IDFPR. Mm-hmm. This is happening at the Illinois uh, public health. Uh, yep. so I just wanted to throw that out there. If people were wondering, man, this seems cumbersome. Well, people have proposed maybe, uh, maybe to simplify it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And again, not, not totally, uh, to asking you to weigh in. So, uh, and this just, you know, for background, that was the, it was built on the structure established by the medical program in 2015. So that's, that's why it ended up looking, you know, the, when the CRTA passed, basically each function at all the agencies that was existing under the compassionate use act was essentially scaled up on the adult use side. Yeah. And again, I know that this is out of your area, but I just like thought about it. So is, is, I keep think forgetting his name, Paul Isaac or mm-hmm. Isaac Paul, is Paul. he the, uh, Paul, mm-hmm. is he the official CRO now or is he still interim? I'm not sure. You'd have to ask the crew's office about that. Okay. Gotcha. But, but as far as you know, he's still at crew. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Yep, gotcha. Yep. So he is the cannabis regulation oversight officer. Just, and I know you involved, uh, you interviewed Danielle Perry, mm-hmm. uh, prior to her departure. Um, you know, he is, he is serving in, in the role that she held. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks for, thanks for clearing that up. I was just yep. curious. So, um, well, before we go, uh, did you want to talk about how many people have been licensed in cannabis, uh, in Illinois? We've made the point with Danielle before, if, mm-hmm. if, if you don't, feel it's prudent or necessary right now. I'm, I know that you printed out the numbers. That's why I'm giving yeah, you the opportunity. No. So, you know, we've got 88 craft growers. We have 54 infusers, 189 transporters, 10 community colleges approved under the community college program. Um, and then of course the existing 21 cultivation centers. I thought you were going to have to use your paper. You did that off the top of your head. Bro. I'm ready. That's yep. awesome. No, I mean, again, we work with these guys every day. Um, yeah. There are almost 5,000 current active agent badges for the department of ag. Um, so almost 5,000 jobs. Now are there's some overlap, right? Some, some folks get agent badges for their corporate offices, many yeah, yeah. of which are based here. Um, but that number is pretty close. Uh, and the thing to remember there is that's primarily still just the 21. Um, you know, as, as these new craft growers and infusers and transporters all come online, I, I could very easily see that number doubling on the ag side by, by this time next year. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's a huge amount of revenue. I think that we'll have to look for this. The uh, 400 and 445.3 million in revenue for the state. Uh, so much of which went to, you know, the R3 program, which I think is such a key point and such a key part of what the CRTA did. It wasn't just that, you know, it was reinvested in the state via tax revenues. There's a specific program dedicated to reinvesting in the communities most impacted by the war on drugs. And that is a well-funded program. Yeah. Um, you know, cannabis is, I think, moving forward will be 10% of the rainy day fund, which at 
for the first time, and I can't remember when, is over a billion dollars for the mm-hmm. state now. Um, you know, we just heard the the treasurer or the comptroller talking about that uh, at the state fair. Yeah. Um, you know, the positive impacts here from a fiscal perspective, from a policy perspective, and from just a personal perspective for people who are impacted is huge. And we're just getting started. Yeah. Um, so to, I'm, I'm really looking forward to what the next year is going to bring. I'm, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Yeah. To your point, I think this is a good note to close on. I believe J.B. Pritzker just made a statement that uh, we've fulfilled our legislative duty so mm-hmm. far right. of issuing licenses. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, there's a big misconception about that. So that's why I wanted to make sure we yes. made that clear on the podcast. Some people still to this day, they're like, release the fucking licenses. And it's like, sure. there have been licenses have. released and, yeah. and some are about to become operational as, yes. as we talked about. So over 300 ag licenses since 2021. Yeah, and I, you know it flies under the radar, but we have they're out there. Yeah. They're they're getting close to building, and I I really love working with some of these folks because you see the competition, right? Um, as soon as those first three are out, we had a number of people say, "Hey, we're going to get ready. We want ours too. We want we want to be <laughs> yeah. the first, you know." Um, and what a cool thing. Yeah. Um, so I do think that the more they get close, the more you'll see them pushing to get closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it'll be a little bit of a race, but. Um, they're perfectly entitled to do that, right? It's a race that I'm interested in watching. Well, of course, yeah, 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 and and you know, one that's driven by our equity applicants, yeah. you know, who are getting those resources they need and moving forward. Um, and that's something I, I am tremendously proud of. And yeah, to your point, you know, the Department of Ag, we have met our statutory obligations for license licenses and for mm-hmm. issuing those, um, and we're we're moving forward. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's going to be an exciting year. 2023 is going to be a big year in cannabis. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Maybe we'll, uh, we should meet again in 2023 and, uh, and talk about the progress we've made. We'll put it right here, Dave. It's been a pleasure speaking with Same you here. today. Um, do you, you, any final words, I guess, before we part? No, I appreciate the chance to sit down and, and to talk to folks about kind of what's going on. Um, you know, again, this is such a, it's important to get a look under the hood, right. You know, from the regulatory side, right. Because, I think it's easy to get frustrated and it's easy for on our end to get frustrated when people don't understand things, but how, how can people understand if, if we don't talk like this? Um, you know, we're, we're here as a resource yeah. for, for folks in this industry and we're doing our best. Um, and there's always places to improve and we're going to keep working on it. And, and that's my pledge is that we're going to keep getting better in every way that we possibly can. We're going to keep making this process easier to understand, easier to use. Um, and we're going to keep being there for, for this industry and being a resource as, as it grows, as it matures, um, you know, as it becomes one of the biggest agricultural commodities in the state. Yeah. Um, but we're doing it so that, and, and we're trying to structure it so that it remains also one of the most equitable yeah. um, industries in this state. And I think we're, we're doing okay on both right now. Yeah. Well, I want to commend you again for speaking with me because uh, I'd like to think I'm an easy person to talk to. And I mean, uh, but, but I know, you know, uh, I can ask, you know, some tough questions or whatever, but I think that these conversations we have are important. And like you say, go a long way towards letting people know what's, what, what's going on behind the scenes. Cause I would have to imagine that before somebody listened to this podcast, uh, if they're still listening now, they just thought of the department of agriculture and the cannabis division as this machine. Yes. You're a person. I just fist bumped yeah. you. you. You're real. I you know, am, I promise. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. not, I didn't deep fake him in here. He's nope, a real person. Nope. Bad jokes, bad jokes all included, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, me too. Yep. Um, so I wanted to, yeah, kind of dwell on that for a moment. I think that this relationship is valuable and I hope 
that it continues. So well, with that, folks, um, I hope you found value in this episode of the Chillinoy podcast. I'm going to be heading out of Springfield, Illinois, and um, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. Bye.